thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, as well as Amadou So of King James Gospel. Amadou, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I was kind of just jamming out to the intro music. So <laughs> cool, but how you guys been? Uh, great, dude. Like uh, we decided to change it up for our YouTube side of things. It's a little bit different than the audio version. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, definitely feeling that one. Uh, Corey, how you doing, man? Um, I'm all right. I'm in the middle of a move slash 2K playoff, so I'm like in a cyclone of fire right now. So uh, I'm a little discombobulated, but I'm always ready to talk about the cast, especially when we got Amadou on. Yeah, always good to hear fresh perspectives because, you know, we can talk Cavs all day long, but (laughs) we literally just are a sounding board off of one another. So it's really good to hear from somebody else here from time to time. And so what a great way to do that. in uh, the nothing other than having a mailbag episode and one of the uh, quieter portions of the off season where there's not really any moves to be made right now. And there's not a lot of news to go around. So we decided we'd go ahead and take some questions from the fans. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into it, man? So one of the first questions that we got here was from Midwest Coasting from Twitter. All of these are from Twitter, by the way. <laughs> None from the Discord chat that's pretty dead. Uh, <laughs> what? Don't give away the secrets. <laughs> Great secrets, right? I don't know. We got to have more people added into that. We need more ratings, things of that nature. Cough, cough. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's a plug secretly. But uh, from Midwest Coasting. Would you entertain a trade for Donovan Mitchell that centers around trading Colin Sexton with additional picks, role players, etc.? Better question, maybe if the entire farm is not needed to be given, <laughs> would you look into it? Which, um, obviously, that would need to be a Colin Sexton signing trade, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a little bit of work to be done in that regard. But Amadou, you are our resident guest at the moment, so I'm going to hand this off to you first, man. How would you feel about a Donovan Mitchell trade if it had to include those pieces? Yeah, well, anytime you can get a star player without giving up, you know, your untradeables and Darius and Mobley and Jared Allen, I think you got to take the opportunity every chance you can get. Um, I see a couple people on Twitter always say that, like, Colin Sexton and Donovan Mitchell are, like, very similar players. Personally, I don't see it. I think Donovan is, like, two tiers, maybe even three above Colin Sexton. I don't either. Yeah, so... If you have a chance to get, you know, Donovan only giving up Sexton and maybe like a Coro marking and picks, I think you got to go for it if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers because he's only 26, so he kind of fits in that timeline either way. I think that's fair. Um, a lot, I've seen a lot of different 
potential trades centered around the Cavs and Donovan Mitchell. Um, one of them was posed by Zach Lowe recently, I believe, that didn't include Colin Sexton. It was actually Karis LeVert, Larry Markkinen, Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osman. Man, that's a lot of pieces right yeah. there already. Uh, for Boyan Badanovich and Donovan Mitchell, with that also includes picks from 2025, 2027, and 2029. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Um, so... Would you be comfortable with a deal like that? That's a lot to give away, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't, just because I don't know how much Donovan raises our ceiling. Like, with him, I don't think we're competing with Boston still. We're not competing with Milwaukee. Uh, Brooklyn still has both Katie and Kyrie, so as long as they have those two, I don't know if we'll compete with them. So to mortgage our future like that for Donovan Mitchell, I just probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, um, Corey, how would you feel about taking a deal like that or may, or um, trying to work in some type of deal like that? Um, personally, when it comes to Donovan Mitchell, I find myself more leaning out on those types of trades than necessarily leaning in. I 100% agree with Amadou that I don't know if Donovan Mitchell is like a needle pusher for us, per se. I think it's really hard to have a, like a championship-level like formula with your team if your two best offensive players are going to be yeah. two guards especially when both of them are not yeah especially when they're not great defensively in the slightest not that Darius is a bad defender he definitely tries and is a I would honest I would say he's a better defender than Donovan Mitchell is I don't think that's that much of a hot take honestly I think people think of Donovan Mitchell as this athletic guard and when you think athletic you think they'll like cover both sides but it really all comes down to like motor of what they want to do and Donovan only seems to give like 95% effort on offense and 5% on defense. And that was pro- maybe a product of the fact that Rudy Gobert was behind him. And with the Cavs, he would have a kind of a similar thing, if not better with two seven footers back there versus one. But at the same time, like if I was going to offer the farm for someone, I'd be more likely, I don't know if you, how you guys feel, but if Jalen Brown was someone who the Cavs were able to trade that same exact package for instead, I'd be more into that. But that's very unlikely. I, I know there's a lot of Jalen Brown smoke going around right now with Kevin Durant, <laughs> yeah. but I think that's more that the Nets are just trying to gauge their offers and be like, hey guys, look, <laughs> Jalen Brown's on the table. <laughs> just let, let that leak out because Boston would not leak that out. If that no, it's it's always offer. intentional with them. Like, how many opportunities throughout the years have they had to go out and acquire some potential superstar? Uh, remember the Anthony Davis talks Anthony from Davis. not too long ago when yep. they had this treasure trove of first-round picks that they could be throwing around, and they just didn't. Danny Ainge just sat on his hands. Um, and, you know, Kobe Oldman is not that type. He is not that type at all. Um, we We've tried here to kind of accumulate through the draft and develop naturally through the draft, making moves here and there to supplement the core, Um, whether that be adding Ricky Rubio into the mix as a veteran presence, grabbing a guy like Robin Lopez, you know, these small moves, uh, Howell Neto, these small moves that could pay off and in in large dividends. So um, the Jalen Brown is interesting because to me, Colin Sexton, (laughs) they asked for Colin Sexton and and we're able to bring in Jalen Brown Colin's gone. Sign and trade. Do what you have to do because he he would theoretically be the perfect fit next to a guard like Darius Garland. I mean, he has wing size. He he's an excellent defender. He is a shot creator. Um, he's come a long way as a facilitator. So, um, you know, he's obviously would be an upgrade over Colin Sexton. 
Um, and to me, would be a much better fit with Darius than Donovan Mitchell would be. Uh, but I do have to circle back on that one just because there is another potential trade here that I saw that was posed um, in an earlier article from Bleacher Report. And that was uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gay for Colin Sexton, Ochai Abaji, Larry Markin, and Isaac Okoro. Man, they love including Okoro in these. <laughs> Um, and those picks, the 2025, 2027, and then 2024, 2026 first round pick swap rights. Is that more to your liking, Amadou? I really hate these like <laughs> four for one. Blitz report trades in general are just always crazy, but these like four for one player swaps, four for two player swaps, they're always like so iffy for me because one, the team would then have to scramble to like, you know, find other pieces that like fit within their system and just to fill gaps and holes or whatever. And I feel like that's just a big headache that you don't really want to deal with. And then it's like, we're giving up on Oche without even seeing him play yet. You know, Okoro is only 21. We don't know what type of jump he can make. Marketing, we don't know how much that three big lineup really worked. They only played like, what, 45, 50, 55 games last year. So we want to see that again. I don't know. You know, I don't, it's tough. And then like, they try to add like Rudy Gay as if that's like some sweetener or something. He's like on the brink of retirement. That, so that to me is that. them trying to, that's them trying to get off off the remaining, I think two years of his contract. I oh, think that's what yeah. that really is. Yeah. Like I, I can't, know. this Rudy Gay slander is stopping here. <laughs> <laughs> that dude played small oh, ball man, for them bro. and it was an embarrassment for half yeah. the season. Maybe if it was Memphis, Rudy Gay. Uh, Sacramento, Rudy Gay? Anyone? Toronto, Rudy Gay? Can we just keep going of all the teams that passed on Rudy Gay? San Antonio, Rudy Gay? He's played for a lot of different teams now, I feel. Yeah, yeah uh, there, there's a reason. True. Uh, Corey, how would you feel about taking that type of offer? Um, I'd still probably say no. I mean, don't get me wrong. After I just pumped up Rudy Gay stock for the past two minutes. Uh, I I don't see... I just don't like giving up so much for one player, especially when I don't think it t- catapults us into the like tier of NBA teams that I, they, people think it's going to go. I see a lot of people saying how the Garland uh, and Mitchell backcourt would be like elite or something. And I'm like, yeah, it would be. But it wouldn't do anything because, once again, the Cavs are missing a three that actually is like a legitimate three and the threes are the needle pushers more than any other position i think in the league honestly and if we still don't have that it's like it it, i know i say this comparison a lot but it would feel like we're kind of like the portland of the eastern conference again you do say that a lot (laughs) but it's it's apt you know it's a great uh comparison but uh yeah you're right i mean that's why jalen brown would fit so well because he could slot in at the two or the three and you know depending upon the lineup combinations. Yeah. I don't see, I, I know I just don't see Jalen Brown being traded or even leaving Boston. I keep on seeing people say that Tatum's actually more likely to leave Boston down the road than uh, be a Jaylen free Brown. agency. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. I mean, the, the team is coming off a finals appearance and, and obviously, and this is, uh, just completely my opinion, obviously, but I feel that it, had it been any other team in the West to make it to the finals, Boston may have won it. Uh, you know, the, the Golden State just has so much damn firepower. There was no way they were walking out of that series uh, with a with a W against them. But Boston is super young. They have the requisite talent to try and facilitate a future trade if they want to. But KD is going to cost a lot. So. 
I don't see either one of those two on the move this offseason. The thing with Boston that was surprising to me was they made it to the Eastern, they made it to the finals without having like more than two players that could actually dribble the ball. I felt like more times than not, it just felt like no one could get the offense initiated because literally no one could create uh, offense off of the dribble. Jalen Brown's dribbling was terrible. Marcus Smart's dribbling was pretty awful. Jason Tatum was a turnover machine, and they somehow made the the finals. Because they're excellent defensively. They have the perfect makeup defensively. They just really needed a couple of other ball handlers. And I, um, I, Yeah, I was going to say, I think that Brogdon trade was huge for them. Yeah, not that they I think he's luck, gonna, you know, along the way too. Just some luck, you know, a little luck. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Chris Middleton didn't play a whole series was yeah. kind of nice. that. That yeah, I mean, I'm of the mindset that had Middleton been healthy, we'd probably see Milwaukee versus Golden State. But I mean, you never know; these things happen every playoffs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we as Cavs fans know what injury can do to you in the playoffs, whether yeah. it be a Kyrie Irving fractured kneecap or a Kevin Love arm pulled out of socket by. Matt, come on, man. You know it's I supposed to be a light episode, and you're bringing down negative times. Why don't we just talk about Jared Allen's broken finger while we're at it? It's all relevant. Oh, man. It's all relevant. All right, man. Let's circle back. Well, not circle back. Let's get back on track here, since uh, you don't want me to be all doom and gloom. All right. So moving on from that one, Mike from Ohio 13 are there any contracts the Cavs could theoretically move or unload to create more cap space for Sexton if they wanted to and stay under the luxury tax for at least a couple of years? Now, before I hand this question off, a couple of quick points of reference here. Um, as reported by Chris Fedor, we know that the most recent offer to Collins Camp uh, was right around three years, $40 million, something around that, which equates to a roughly $13.3 million a year. On average. So I want you guys to take this into account because I don't think a lot of people have actually checked this out. So if he were to accept that offer, that would make him the 30th, 30th highest paid point guard. And we know there's a huge um, contingent of people that do not classify him as a point guard. And to be honest with you, I don't know what the hell you want to call Colin Sexton in regards to positional, uh, you know, and positional outlook. Is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? Is he a combo guard? Who the hell knows? But for all intents and purposes, in regards to point guards, he would be the 30th highest paid point guard if he accepted that deal. And that is behind Markel Fultz, Tyus Jones, players like that. So, that's point number one that I would like you to take into account. The second point is that the Cavs really don't have a lot of wiggle room in regards to players that they could actually give up without having to facilitate some type of massive deal. Um, and that really only leaves Dylan Windler and Jetty Osman as the two guys that would probably be most probable to be moved. Now, Jetty Osman is on a, I want to say he's on the second to last year of his deal, making about $7.4 million this upcoming season. And then the next season, his contract is non-guaranteed. So you could move him and clear some cap room to sign Colin to a deal in the 15 to $18 million range if you wanted to. Dylan 
I'm of the mindset that the Cavs want to move Dylan <laughs> to try and clear some more cap for Colin. Go ahead, do it because you got to clear a roster spot anyway. But just wanted to put that into context. Corey, I'm handing this off to you first, man. What would you do? I mean, or do you think there's any other moves that could be made to clear cap? I personally like him in the mindset. I, I would rather just sign Sexton to a bigger deal than what's being offered and let just find someone that wants to take care of Slavert because I just feel like I don't see a situation in which the two of them play like on the Cavs within the next few years together. And it just feels like when I like they just feel too similar and too redundant in terms of like the build of the team for me to, and I'd rather take the younger upside of Colin. I feel like Karras is uh, like pretty capped at what he's going to be as an NBA player. I'm not expecting like some major climb for Karras Levert to become this linchpin of a Cavalier playoff team anytime soon. I would rather, I obviously I'd rather move Jetty and Windler, but if I had to like throw another name, into the mix. I like, I know his stock's probably pretty low after a poor outing with the Cavs all coming off of injury to no fault of his own. It's a tough situation overall for him, but that's where I would probably be looking to move another name outside of the two that always are in like the cycle. Uh, okay. I thought you were going to say somebody like Dean Wade or something. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's just not a lot, man. There's not a lot that they can do. Amadou, can you provide further insight? Yeah, I'm on Corey here. I mean, it's obvious that it's Jetty and Windler. Um, I think there's a report that the Cavs actually tried to facilitate a sign and trade with the Pacers for Ricky Rubio. Mm-hmm. And I'd expect that to have been like Jetty Osmond and Dylan Windler, but like, at the same time, like, the Cavs kind of put themselves in this predicament because, you know, they went out there and they signed, like, Howell Neto when you had, like, R.J. Nemhard, who you gave a, a two-way contract to. Maybe he could have been, like, de facto third point guard off the bench if you really were looking for someone like that. And in those moves, like, adding Robin Lopez. And I, I, I like that move kind of, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not sure if you if Evan's going to grow or progress as a player, he's going to be that, you know, backup center. And if it's just injury insurance, you can always get that throughout the season. We saw that last year. Um, but either way, though, it's obviously Jetty. It's obviously Dylan. Um, it's just all about now when a potential move is going to happen. Yeah, um, I think that when you really look at the grand scheme of things here, the biggest thing that the Cavs are trying to avoid is luxury tax, right? And they don't want to contend with themselves in regards to offering Colin a deal. It's been widely reported that there is no market for him. Um, We truly don't know what that means. I mean, I'm sure that there are teams out there that would really like to have Colin Sexton somewhere in their lineup, maybe not as a starter, maybe off the bench. Uh, you never really know. Uh, but this is an offseason that teams entered with not too much cap space to begin with. And so Colin kind of got the shitty end of the uh, of the stick here. And there's really just not too much wiggle room that the Cavs are willing to budge on here when they don't really have to offer more than what's been reported. So this, this kind of leaves him in a really tough spot. It's like, okay. Do you sign the qualifying offer, take that chance, and try and get paid next offseason? Or do you take the guaranteed money and set yourself up for maybe to hit free agency in your prime? Which is also, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people don't view it this way, but I also think that's a little risky too. Because say that Cleveland 
is deciding that they're going to try and put other guys into the spotlight. Let's say Ochai Baji really comes out of the gate playing really well. Let's say Isaac Okoro takes another step forward this season. Or that Karis LeVert looks really well if he starts next to um, Darius Garland. And they may, they, they may opt to put Colin into a, a lesser of a role not allow him to showcase uh, any improvements. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. Um, I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not the resident theory, um, conspiracy theorist here. I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is this, there also is a, a, an element of risk in regards to taking that deal too, but it's obviously less risky than playing on the qualifying offer. I think we um, can all agree on that. Yeah. yeah. Just, you can go on Corey. Oh, no, I was going to say, there's this Jalen Rose quote that I remember listening to like 10 years ago. And he he always said that uh, in life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you have the ability to negotiate. And yeah. uh, that's basically the Colin Sexton situation summarized perfectly, in my opinion. Like, we all know what Colin's worth if he's healthy. But unfortunately for him, the negotiations are not going in his favor because there's a lot of factors going against him right now. And it's between the injury, the RFA situation, the fact that, like, the Pacers and the Spurs, the teams with the most money, don't even need a guard anymore because the Spurs are trying to tank and the Pacers (laughs) have an abundance of guards and they're trying to offload one of them. So they're not going to take Colin Sexton. So it just... It really sucks for Colin, obviously. And I know this is like the only topic that Cavalier fans could talk about every day. So I'm not trying to drag it on any further. Oh, no, I don't want to drag oh, it out any longer. I want to drag it on really quickly. I, I'm i sorry. <laughs> I, just, I just, I really think the Cavs want LeBron. I feel like that's why all of this is happening. Uh, because it's like, I'm not getting it. Throughout the entire season, they just hyped up, you know, Colin as like this factor into their future and one of their franchise pieces. And it's like, they made all these moves like, you know, trading for Larry Markkinen to compensate for the, the lack of height in the backcourt. And now it's like we're at the point where they're offering him, like you said, the 30th most money for a guard. I just think they want to have a clean slate at a shot at, you know, LeBron potentially returning. That's just the only thing that kind of makes sense to me, to be honest. Okay, so uh, just to kind of uh, elaborate on that a little bit more. So I think that the plan before this previous season was to have Colin as a fourth core member because mm-hmm. you never really did heading into Evan Mobley's rookie season. You didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, it's tough for a big man to really prove how great they are in preseason and then summer league play, which showed in Evan Mobley's summer league play. You didn't expect him to come into the league looking like a top 10 defender, but it happened. You did not expect Darius Garland to take an all-star leap. You certainly did not expect Jared Allen to make the all-star team. At least I didn't. I expected him to look really well and with the full offseason in town and fresh off of signing his contract extension. But I did not expect any of those things to happen, and I'm sure the Cavs didn't either. And so I think the, the way that the season progressed really changed and shifted their mentality in regards to how they view him because – Garland took that big step. Rubio looked really well playing next to Darius Garland, and they played really great, and they won a lot of games. And then as the season progressed, injury after injury after injury after injury put them in a place to be able to draft Ochai Abaji, which was not in the plans, right? I mean, I'm sure 
that they didn't think they would make such a big leap last season um, and that they probably figured that there was a big chance that they landed in a lottery again. But midway through the season last year, can either of you two honestly say that you expected to be picking in the lottery after how it was going? So I think that the Abaji pick really kind of changed and shifted how they felt about things, especially after... I mean, another factor in this is the fact that when Rubio went down, they went out and they acquired Karis LeVert, who we've always said is a very similar player to Colin, but not quite as good, in my opinion. Um, that threw a wrench in things, too. You have a lot of guards on the roster. You have a lot of mounts to feed. There are a lot of different things to do. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that Colin is not a max guy but he's also not a $13.3 million player. But it's just such a shitty situation because he's going to be forced to either take that deal or play on the qualifying offer. No ifs, ands, or or buts about it. I do not see them clearing cap room for him to sign something higher than that just because they're trying to stay out of luxury tax territory and they probably feel it's not worth it to move a player like Jetty right now or a player like Dylan. But who knows? But to your LeBron point, you think they are angling for a 2023 or 2024 reunion with Braun? I think so. I, everything is just like aligning kind of like perfectly, so to say. LeBron just always leaves and comes back when like, you know, the teams, you know, <laughs> just, just acquire assets. You know, He's the perfect yeah. opportunist, like the, the, the premier opportunist. Yeah, and that's always, his contract just always align up just so perfectly. It's actually very crazy. But I mean, you talk about what's going on in LA, the whole uncertainty around Russell Westbrook. I'm trading for him in the first place, you know, saying that, okay, this is going to be something that has to work, whatever. And it hasn't. LeBron James is, what, 38 now, I believe. So, I mean, coming back to a very young Cavs team with Darius Garland, you know, entering his fourth season and Evan Mobley entering his second season and Jared Allen, who's only 24, who just made his first All-Star game. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, the whole thing is just the way he was talking about Cleveland during the All-Star game, talking about <laughs> you won't leave out a return. That just – you don't say those, those things if you plan on staying with the team. I'm not ruling it out, and I think we've talked about this before, Corey. Um, I do believe that there is a big belief in the front office that they will have a shot at LeBron come next offseason, and the cap room that they're trying to manage – leaves them the opportunity that they can clear enough to sign a max level player. They do not have to give out any max next season to players already on the roster. You don't have to worry about Isaac yet. You obviously don't have to worry about Evan yet. And you've already handed Darius Garland his max. And so really, um, you know, it's if Colin Sexton does sign that qualifying offer and enters unrestricted free agency. Yeah. There's a possibility that you might have to go ahead and, you can go any route with that. Um, you could end up signing Colin to a larger deal than what he's being offered right now. You could go after a prize free agent next off season, or this is the other thing that um, that will have to be looked at. If Colin does sign that qualifying offer, you really have to entertain the idea of re-signing Karis LeVert, which could impact that cap space for next off season. I'm sorry. I am the one person who apparently is completely out on LeBron coming back. Like, I just don't want it at all. Like, I don't want him touching this roster with his grubby little LGN hands (laughs) and just throwing kids out to Siberia. The disrespect. Okay. So I get it. Like, I, 
I've seen so many arguments back and forth about why having LeBron back in town would be a bad thing, but please elaborate. Like, give us your full-on spiel on why this would be a bad idea. I think it's quite simple. LeBron, no matter where he goes for the past few trips, has been like, oh, you know what? This is where I'm going to hand the keys to someone else. I'm going to hand the keys to Kyrie. I'm going to hand the keys to Anthony Davis. He was going to do it if Kyrie wanted to stay. I'm a firm believer he would have done so. I also thought he was going to hand the keys off to Anthony Davis. He was making that point abundantly clear many times. He doesn't give him the ball anyway. <laughs> he just wants to acquire all of his old dudes who hang around the perimeter. And that's what the Cavs don't have. Newsflash, LeBron. We don't have any shooters. That is like the worst part of this team. If you want to clog the paint with going to the basket every possession, you have two seven-footers there. How is that going to work whatsoever? I don't see any situation. And then Darius's primary skill set is ball handling and making great decisions with the ball. If LeBron's playing bully ball like he loves to do these days, he's not going to, like, it's going to negate both of their strengths whatsoever. This isn't like Kyrie. Darius isn't a Kyrie level scorer. I got to push back on that a little bit. He's He's not in the realm of, like, fancy ass ball handling that Kyrie is but he's certainly to me in my opinion and I too I also think that Colin Sexton could benefit from playing with LeBron James but Kyrie was best with the ball in his hands too and he never looked better than beside LeBron so oh no my point was that I don't think Darius is like the same offensive scorer that Kyrie like Kyrie was and that's why I think Kyrie played really well with LeBron was because he was probably the best scoring player LeBron's played with in his entire career outside of like the one year of Dwayne Wade before Dwayne (laughs) Wade's knees went downhill extremely fast but I just don't see a fit for LeBron with this team like story-wise obviously makes a ton of sense LeBron will be like oh I'm gonna finish my career in Cleveland Kobe Mm -hmm. will throw a second round pick at Ronnie (laughs) yeah Be like, Bronny, congrats. You're not going to Sacramento. You're coming to Cleveland <laughs> to be with Isaiah Mobley and, and the boys. Oh, well, that would also require the Cavs to finish in the lottery somewhere or grab a first-round pick from somebody to get Bronny. Yeah, Bronny's a second-round pick, dude. We, nah, we can- dude, I'm telling you, by the time he's draft eligible, I think he's a, he's a late first-rounder. I think he's a late first-rounder by, he, by the time he's draft eligible. I feel like the only reason he will be dra- first round pick is because LeBron has attached his name to him. If Bronny that's certainly, had- that's certainly impossible. No, I think that's the difference between him being a late first rounder and an early lottery pick is LeBron's name being attached. But I think purely off of talent alone, by the time this kid is draft eligible, there's a possibility. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's a possibility that uh, <laughs> that he could be heading towards the latter end of the first round purely based on his own talents. I know this is like not a, a worthwhile conversation, but if we're talking about Bronny James being a lottery pick, do we really think that the lottery team that picks LeBron James, LeBron's going to go to them being like, all right, this is how I'm going to spend the rest of my career on a bottom end lottery team. And we'll just uh, roll with that. <laughs> I just, I think this whole Bronny LeBron saga is just LeBron like playing his media hand like he did during the All Star game. I feel like LeBron just was playing to the lights, 
and was like, oh man, you know, like I'm not gonna say no if Cleveland comes knocking at my door. <laughs> I don't and- think he. I like to me. I don't think they're gonna come knocking on his door. I think LeBron is gonna come knocking on Cleveland's door. I think he's going to reach out. He's gonna have Rich Paul pull out his cell phone and reach out <laughs> to Kobe Altman on speed dial. Um, if I see Kobe Altman on the shop next year, I know this is going downhill. <laughs> You'll see Darius Garland and Kobe Altman there. And Kevin Love. It's just going to be all of his buddies in You'll one have spot. A, yep, and they'll get Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry out of retirement. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson shooters. will be on, and they'll be like, hey, Jordan, remember when you sucked in the playoffs for us? Yeah, that was cool. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for coming on, oh, Jordan. You just unlocked a crazy memory in my head. Wow, he was... Oof. When they acquired Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance from the lake, I really had high hopes. Like, Larry Nance, that, I was over the moon about that, but I really had high hopes for Jordan Clarkson in Cleveland. I don't know about you guys. That Boston game was the biggest, like, tease of all time. Ruining Paul Pierce's retirement night could not have made the expectations be any higher. Oh, man. We are all over the place, aren't we? <laughs> That's what all the right, so for. This is a mailbag episode, obviously. So the next question here comes from, uh, I want to say it actually comes from the same person. Um, is clutch sports relationship with the Cavs front office negatively affecting negotiations with Sexton? They also go on to add, I'm thinking of LeBron, but also negotiations for Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, and the general power balance between owners and increasingly powerful agents, which is a great question. Um, and to provide further clarity on that, in case both of you two forgot, J.R. Smith signed on October 16th, 2016 to a four-year $57 million deal with Cleveland, and Tristan Thompson signed a five-year, $82 million contract on October 22nd, which obviously, you know, they both signed in October within six days, um, uh, six days, a year apart, and none of which, I don't think anybody thought that they would get as much money as they got. Mm-hmm. So um, do you, Corey, do you think that Clutch is negatively impacting this whole context and thing, that whole no. relationship there? Yeah, no, I just think this is just the RFA thing more than anything else. Like, I think, honestly, the relationship between the Cavs and Clutch is pretty solid. I think I we've, had a, we've had a bunch of Clutch clients coming through here. I mean, Darius is also a Clutch client. Right. If I'm, yeah, so That's what kind of rules it out for me. Like, if they, are, if they were willing to give Darius that max and uh, do it after one season of, uh, of great basketball, I, I think that really tells you right there what they think. I think, and also, I I just, like, the Colin situation is, like, what feels like Charlie Day and It's Always Sunny, where he's just staring at the wall with all the pieces the of The conspiracy paper. theory stuff. There's boxes of Pepe Sylvia for yeah. reasons of why Colin Sexton is not signed to this point. And I think the least of my concerns is the clutch thing, but... yeah. Obviously, Clutch is the most powerful agency in the NBA right now, so it is a yeah. valid question to ask. It's just the Cavs have a lot of positive momentum in their favor between all of the deals that they've done with players from Clutch, even past the LeBron era of Cleveland. Because that's why I argue why Tristan and JR got that money is because LeBron's like, hey, I want them, and I'm going to keep doing the one-year These deals. These my boys. I'm about to get them paid. That's what happened. LeBron's maximum leverage is that he always signed those one one plus ones and he would always opt out. 
like that's why the Cavs would just keep throwing money at players that you would like hearing that Tristan Thompson got a five year 82, knowing that Jared Allen got like a four, a hundred, like they just yeah. don't compare to me in terms. And I feel like that's those contracts are crazy. equivalent at the time. That is crazy. I mean, we're Tristan signed for five eighty two, and Jarrett signed for five one hundred. That's not a huge. That is not a huge gap right there when you really think about the year that it was signed in. So, and the market value at that point in time for centers, like nobody thought Tristan was going to get that much money. Yeah, I feel like with salary cap, uh, like it was a lot lower at the time, obviously. But I feel like if you had to like inflate it to now, it probably is equal in terms of value. Yeah. And I think so they take it the salary cap. Yeah, like I don't know what this what the, mar- the the going rate was for centers at that point in time, but I cannot imagine that it was like like any lower than it is now. Like uh, that was really that was really something to hand him that type of deal. But that was mostly because of LeBron. Let's not get ourselves here. Same thing with Jr. Um, but uh, that being said. Nah, I think I, I completely agree with you. This has everything to do with the fact that Collins and RFA and Cavs hold all the leverage. And there's not a lot of cap space to be had right now around the league. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a lot, not, a, not a lot more to add to that. Astute contribution, Amadou. <laughs> yes, that's why we have you on here. <laughs> This is why King um, James pays you the big bucks. Corey, Corey, man, I hate to do this to you, but this question is especially directed at you from, from our It's Cavalier League participant in 2K. Doug says, does Corey believe he still has a chance now 2-0? I'd like to hear it answered on the pod. Go Wolves. Hey, Doug. Um, I don't know if you remember me. I'm the guy that you scheduled to play a match against at 7 p.m. and then ghosted me for an hour. So all I have to say is, fuck you, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Dale. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, any day I get to quote that, any day I get to quote that, brothers, is a good day. Why are you um, sweating? Cops is not. <laughs> <laughs> Cops is not until four. Up because Doug didn't show up. Oh man. Oh, man. Uh, so you have to go on there and you have to make things right, Doug. Play Corey. <laughs> he called you out <laughs> on the pod. You got your request. There you go. All right, Screw moving you, on. <laughs> Move along here. This answer. Uh, this question is from Cam. Who will be the Cavs MVP this upcoming season? Great question. Um, Corey, I'm hands off to you first, man. Um, I think in order for the Cavs to go where I want them to be, it's going to have to be Evan Mobley. I think he has to raise the Cavs floor more than he already has, which is a lot to put on the shoulders of a second year player, obviously. But I mean, for those who haven't watched that, uh, practice session of him with KD, I feel like he is going to be the MVP of this Cavs team. So if he can just like defensively, he can stay the same. And the Cavs would still be just as good. It's his offense that I just want to see like a little more out of. I just want him to become a solid offensive player. I don't know in which facet. I feel like he could play it back to the basket game very well. I mean, he obviously is like still a lean kid. I don't see him being ever transforming into a Joel Embiid body type where it would completely alter the way we look at him. But Evan Mobley, if he can also just find ways to operate as the backup center as well, because I think he kind of struggled with that when his name was called when Jared was out. But you don't want Kevin Love playing backup center? 
Uh, you know, I love Kevin as much as the next guy, obviously, but um, no. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, or you finished with your answer there, buddy? Yeah, I, I'll just uh, I'll step back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just fucking with you, man. No, you're good. Uh, Amadou, man, who would be the Cavs MVP if you had to select for the upcoming season? Yeah, for me, I got to go Darius Garland because I just imagine that he'll have the ball in his hand the majority of the time. And if you give somebody $200 million, I, I would hope that you'd expect him to be, you know, the MVP of the team. Fired. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for Darius, like what he was able to do last year with, you know, Colin Sexton going out with injury and Ricky Rubio and Karis Levert at times being hurt and even Mobley and Allen, I mean, he was continuously – was that number one scoring option, you know, number one playmaking option. And honestly, I expect that to happen again this year, hopefully to another higher level. Yeah, my man's average 25 and 10 uh, post-All-Star break, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, I honestly have to agree with Corey here. And I say this because, <laughs> I mean, we talked about this on the last episode, Corey. There is only so much you can do from a defensive standpoint standing at 6-1 and I think that's the area that will hurt Darius's argument here the most like he's gonna have to elevate his game I feel like to a whole nother level um, and we saw him do that this season with the absences of Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton um, but <laughs> uh, but I think he's gonna have to elevate it to an entirely different level to have claim to the MVP because I think you're really gonna see Evan Mobley take a huge step forward offensively. I don't know how much longer or how much uh, higher he's going to climb defensively this year because my man was already a top 10 defender. He could really be a defensive player of the year contender this season. And I think I predicted that earlier on Twitter this week. But um, on the offensive side of things, that's I think we're going to see major improvement from him this offseason. As Corey stated, you are. You guys have probably already seen that uh, the videos stemming from the recent practice sessions. I think mm-hmm. with Kevin Durant and other players. Uh, so I think you're going to see that show its head this season. I think you're going to see Evan Mobley take a huge step forward and kind of put a bull on this. Um, his plus two point three defensive estimated plus minus ranked in the ninety six percentile this last season, which was right around Robert Williams. Uh, and we all know how good of a defender Robert Williams is. And, like, this dude was a monster defensively. And I think if he was able to do that all season last year, he probably would have won defensive player of the year over Marcus Smart, in my opinion. Um, I totally agree. Yeah, and so I think you can see Mobley maybe trending in that direction defensively. And if the guy is able to put up somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, maybe 18 to 20 points and get into the double-digit rebound territory – I certainly think it's possible. And the lone aspect of his game that kind of separates himself from most other bigs, his size is his ability to facilitate. Um, I think was it 2.5 assists he averaged last season. And to do that at seven foot tall, handling the rock like that. I mean, I'm not hesitating to say I could see a Nikola Jovic, uh, not Jovic, Jokic type of season from this guy uh, eventually within the next two to three seasons. Um, Am I crazy? No, I think the best scenario for Evan Mobley offensively is to be a offensive hub. Maybe not like primarily, but at least a secondary hub to give Darius yeah. some more off-ball opportunities for sure. Kind of in the same vein that we see with Kevin Love right now, but obviously like a much higher 
earlier Kevin Love. Yeah. yeah. Not uh, Kevin Love now, where if he doesn't hit the threes, he doesn't touch the floor. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I um, going back to that practice video, um, did any of you guys think that Isaiah Mobley should have just had that be his summer league highlights versus what we saw? Because that he looked pass, infinitely better. That yeah. pass to him that he did, that he canned that triple on, I that was beauty. And I know a lot of people are kind of shitting on him right now because of summer league. But again... Pump the brakes. Like, Summer League is not the best territory for larger players. <laughs> so, I mean, we saw the – Corey, I think you commented on this on Twitter the other day. We saw Anthony Bennett tear it up in preseason. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> yeah, we did. Garbage. <laughs> you take <laughs> that back. <laughs> you got to take these things with a grain of salt. So let's – but um, to your point, yeah, I, I do really I, – I loved what I saw from Isaiah Mobley. And at that point, you guys think Mobley, Evan Mobley, takes uh, an all-star jump this year? Absolutely, do it for sure. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is, like the East, golly, it's like yeah, so deep, like so so tough to make it, and especially for the guards, like the big men, maybe a little bit easier because you get more forward spot, you get more spots yeah. for the bigs. But uh, guards is increasingly tough. Darius Garland is going to be hard-pressed. Any of those guards are going to be hard-pressed to make the um, All-Star team this upcoming Definitely. season. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Evan has the best chance of making the All-Star team from the Cavs next year just because the guards are going to be all pretty much back. Yeah. yeah. Think about ben Simmons the fact- is going to be back. Kyrie mm-hmm. is going to probably play. Murray DeJounte. moved to the yeah, East. DeJounte. DeJounte. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> uh, now in the – thanks, babe. Thanks, Talia. It's <laughs> my wife. Um, but yeah, um, I think that with the additions of a mentally healthy Ben Simmons and a uh, Kyrie Irving maybe suiting up for half this season. Mentally healthy Kyrie Irving as well. Um, and then Murray moving over to the East among like other all-star types of leaves from other players. Hell, I mean, it's Cade Cunningham a guard. He made make some yeah. noise as a guard in the all-star um, voting. So who the hell knows? And yeah, I mean, it, Detroit's going to be a force. They're going to be a sub 500 team with an all-star point guard. <laughs> well, you know, what also doesn't help is the fact that if, if, if they do resign Colin, you're going to have a lot of guards vying for the, uh, for the ball there. And you're going to have a lot of guards getting votes. I mean, Colin is not that far removed from finishing pretty high in all-star voting in his last healthy season. Oh, that pissed me off so much. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Thank you, Mac. Now I know what I'm thinking about when I go back uh, Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know. Does anybody know? And if any, anybody's viewing this would love to comment or eventually hit me up after this is aired. Um, how? What is the highest that Karis LeVert has ever finished in uh, all-star voting? I would love to know that. Um, comment below. Yeah. Like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he knows what I'm talking about. You see the over there. there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would love to know that. So, and there's going to just be so many, uh, so many people vying for the ball there. And I don't know who, if any guard is going to make it from the Caps roster next season. It's Raul Neto. <laughs> he kind of looks jacked. I don't know if you saw that. Um, there was a recent video of him put out, him putting in some off season work, but. Max Thirsty for Raul, duly noted. Yep. <laughs> um, let's see here. What else do we have? Um, from Horatio Markinen. 
Love that name. Uh, has Jared Allen Pete? I think we talked about this before, but I'd love to hear uh, you guys' answers on this. Amadou, I'm going to go to you first. Do you think last season showcased peak Jared Allen? Um, From a statistics standpoint, I want to say yeah, because I expect for like, in his prime at least, I think Jared Allen will hover around a 16, 17, 18 per game mark and double-double, of course. But like, He's what twenty four, so he can always like you know add more strength, which will help with rebounding and like his paint presence. And he like show like the mid range touch, you know, the mid post touch, so that can always like grow as he continues to grow as a player, such like that. So as a player, I don't think so, but stats wise, kind of if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's fair to say because if we're expecting Evan Mobley to take this gargantuan leap, if we're expecting, yeah. Ogbaji to look pretty good out of the gate. If you're getting Colin back, if you if you account for all these other factors that could harm, you know, really it's not just Jared. It's really going to be everybody. Everybody's going to be impacted by returning players. Um, you know, it's no question. Well, not no question. It's no secret that Darius Garland was able to capitalize on the absence of Rubio and the absence of Sexton and handling more duties in regards to the ball. Um, and likewise with Jared Allen and having additional opportunities in the pick and roll game because he was a primary focus at that point. So everybody's going to suffer statistically. Um, I think the ball is going to be more spread out here, but um, I think you're really on to something when you say that he could potentially add to his game. I just don't know what that is. Corey, what do you think? I agree with Amadou. Um, I think statistically this will probably be it, but because just because the stats are the same doesn't mean he's contributing the same way as he was before. I think he has potential. He seems like he has touch more than I think people give him credit for. I mean, most of the shots he takes outside of like 10 feet seem like they're kind of like end of the shot clock. But when you get, when he gets time with his jumper, it actually looks pretty decent. I, I see a lot of potential for him to kind of expand his range. Now I don't need him to be a stretch five where he's. Yeah. I was going to ask you, the is there time. any potential for a three point shot to develop? I really hope not. Cause you know, Andre Drummond really <laughs> scarred me from that experience. Oh, <laughs> Andre, uh, you're like, Oh man, Andre spreads the floor. And you're like, Oh wow. He thinks he spreads the floor. But in fact, the team is really not excited when he shoots this. I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. I think the also like the, the kind of archetypes you could potentially look at here. If you're talking about him adding a three point shot is look at somebody like a brick Lopez who ended up, you know, adding that to his game in the latter half of his career. and I, Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that usually happens, though, when some part of your game fades away. And yeah, Jared Allen's just have to. young, where he has to, like, reinvent himself. I think he can innovate his game right now, but I, I feel like the three-point shot for big men's kind of like their last prayer of contributing yeah. in some You want to hear something crazy, Corey? I'd love to. Um, so, in... Let's uh, when you're looking at Brooke Lopez's actual career statistics here, he went from averaging 0.23 point attempts in his age 27 season to averaging 5.2 in his eight at the very next season. My man took five threes uh, more over the course of one season. So, I mean, it's possible, and, and that was age 28. I just um, this was a really good. Correlate. This like gets to tell me. This is like therapy for me. I uh, I spent 
I don't know what day of the week it was last week, but I found myself on YouTube watching a compilation of all of Robin Lopez's three-point makes, and it was a five-minute-long video. Let me tell you, that dude can stroke it. <laughs> don't, Robin, don't, don't Robin count it Lopez. out. Robin, Robin Lopez? Rolo, baby. He looked pretty good, I'm telling you. If it's a 9-1-1, he's ready to roll. <laughs> he is a career 29.4% shooter, which is a lot better than what you could than I expected him to be, and he finished 33.3 last season, apparently. Damn right he did. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was a longer YouTube clip uh, than I thought. <laughs> there's no volume there, Corey, so I don't know. Like That was, that was 0.2 attempts last year. For those year. who are listening, watch the YouTube video and at me on Twitter and let me know if it changed your opinion of Robin Lopez at all. Dude, he's only averaged one point. That one point six was his highest. That was nineteen twenty. But I, I agree, having that in your game, that's something as a big man. Max, like I want Jared Allen to shoot threes. Max, two seconds later, I don't want Robin Lopez <laughs> shooting threes. <laughs> that is not what I said. But I'll move on regardless. Um, but to be serious about that, I will say this: it would be awesome to see Jared take maybe two threes a game, but he doesn't need to. So. I'd um, rather those attempts go to Evan. Than yeah, Jared. yeah, yeah. So he doesn't need to. If Jared Allen never added anything else to his game, or he never, or if it was his peak season last year, and he just continues to provide great post protection and is a lob threat and can rebound, I'm good because you're going to see a substantial substantial growth from Evan Mobley. Hopefully, fairly on roster. So. If last season was peak Jared Allen, okay. <laughs> it's not out of the world, you know. But as Amadou said, he's still young, so he could add to his game. I don't know what you're yeah, laughing right. about. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. Oh, man. The, the audio cut out, so we yeah. didn't hear, like, anything of you said. And me and Amadou just looked yeah, at each other, like, <laughs> we're just like, yeah, nod, nod, yep. Oh, this is gonna be fun for oh, editor Mac to edit, yeah. so this is good stuff. It is gonna be fun. So I'll say that again. <laughs> if that did not pick up, um, I don't know where it actually cut out at. You're gonna have to fill me in. But um, I'm gonna take it away. <laughs> uh, I think we, we just were talking about you know Jared Allen threes, and um, you said if he never added anything to his game. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. So play. if he never added anything else to his game, and last season was peak Jared Allen. I can. I'm okay with that because I feel Evan Mobley is going to take a leap next season. I think that this player, this roster is so young that you're going to see other players take leaps. And as long as Jared Allen is providing consistent rim protection, as long as he is adding as a lob threat and um, gives you somewhere around 15 to 16 points a game, 10 somewhere around 10, 11 rebounds, I'm cool with that. He doesn't need to be the guy uh, in the post that dominates touches. We just don't see that type of player in the NBA anymore. I'm glad you had the time to rehearse that a second time. <laughs> I know, but that, that was, was that was and beautiful. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's really going to do it, man, unless you have anything else to add. Um, personal question. I know you, you got featured first on the chase downs. Uh, mailbag episode. I don't know if you want to throw that one out there real quick before we head out. Uh, sure, guys. I mean, <laughs> I love to do a uh, quick plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Superstar. Um, I The question I pose to them that I'll first ask Amadou is uh, 
where do if we sign Colin Sexton for next season, where do you see the shooting guard situation of Sexton, Levert, Okchai, and Okoro going? Because obviously there's not enough room next season for all four, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think Sexton has to start. And then Karius is that de facto six-man. <sighs> Personally, I'm just all the way out on Isaac Okoro. I don't know what, like... <laughs> The expectation really is. I'm sorry, like we're, we're expecting him to like just kill him on ball, <laughs> just gain this on ball ability, and it's like it's just not gonna happen. And he's not gonna have the shooting to really, you know, warrant minutes over Ochai. So, yeah, you're completely. Are you? But so I just have the asses. Are you completely out on him? I'm just looking at him as a player, and it's like. His type of mold, like what he what he can be, is just an off-ball guy who's you know tenacious on defense. But it's like, how good can the defense really be if you can't provide anything on offense? So, you know, I, I kind of am. <laughs> well, at least you're honest about it. Yeah. I feel like Okoro's floor is to be Matisse Thibel now, where Matisse Thibel's also kind of finding his way out of the 76ers rotation because that three-point shot has never developed that they kept on harping that he was going to get. The way you're out on Okoro is the way that I'm out on Levert. Like, I just don't want anything to do with Karis Levert. I didn't want him in the first place. I don't want him now. I think it was a good idea at the time to have the Sexton insurance, but now that Sexton's available and now we can't sign Sexton because we have Karis, it's just like we just bit ourselves in the ass pretty much and then we're like oh what happened i didn't see this coming <laughs> that's exactly how i am about a core like like you just said because like when we drafted him fifth i was ecstatic but then as i thought about it's like we drafted this six four six five not really shooting guard not really a small forward that can't really do much on offense but he's athletic so i guess that's kind of like a plus <laughs> so that's cool he's ripped <laughs> yeah so i don't know man uh, I mean, I I think that there is an argument to be made for that. I'll say this. I think at 21 years old, I still think there's a ton of time for Isaac to come around um, offensively because we've seen him have stretches over his first two seasons in which he actually looks like he's figured it out. Um, and it's inconsistent. So that's I think that's the biggest thing with him is the consistency and the confidence. I think that's the biggest thing that is hampering him right now. Um, and I mean, like you said, there's a fact that there are other players flying at that position for minutes, which could kind of freeze him out. Um, and I think when you're looking at the rotation next season, um, you know, you can look at this one in two ways. If you have, um, if you have Colin Sexton, you're going to have to figure out minutes because you have your, your starting five in DG, um, probably cares, um, you have Larry Markinen still. You got Evan. You got Jared. That's your five right there. And your six is probably going to end up being some combination. Um, you know, if, you, if you're starting Karis, you're going to, um, and you don't have Colin, you're going to end up um, probably putting Love out there as your sixth man, as as he was a runner-up for the sixth man this season. Um, you have Neto and Rubio, whoever ends up, you know, getting those minutes is most essentially probably going to be Rubio when he's healthy. Um, and then you look at those seven, eight, nine spots. <laughs> That's where it really gets tough. I mean, you got a lot of guys there. You have Ochai, 
the newcomer in town who many people see as an, a, a clear upgrade over Isaac, um, you know, as an overall player, um, not necessarily defender, but an overall player. Um, you have Dean Wade, you got Lamar Stevens. Um, there's just so many mouths to feed. And then Isaac, where does Isaac fit in? And realistically, I think a lot of people are slotting Isaac in the 8-9 spot right now. And that's not even factoring in Colin. So it's tough. I, I really don't know. I still think there's a lot of growth, a lot of potential there. Uh, we have seen improvement from him um, from key areas, most notably the three-point shooting, um, albeit on lower volume. Um, he did shoot 35% this season, up from 29% his rookie year. But that, again, came on slightly lower volume. So the biggest question to me is, Will he get enough opportunities to showcase his talents? And I think there is a case to be made that he will not. But time will tell. JB is going to have to have a lot of tough conversations, and I do not envy him. <laughs> uh, I hope that answers no, your sir. question, Corey. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. You answered it better than Justin or Carter ever could. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually answer it, I feel. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think if you're looking at, like, a minutes breakdown here, I think you're if you get Colin back, you're giving Colin anywhere between 26 to 30, maybe 32 minutes. You're giving Karis LeVert somewhere between 24 to 26 minutes. And Ochai and Okoro, somewhere in the neighborhood to 15 to 20 minutes apiece. Um, I don't know how you're going to distribute that. It could be different game to game. Um, I saw actually somebody, I think it was Brayden Todd, suggested, unrelated to those players, but Brayden Todd suggested that Kevin Love <laughs> received 13 minutes next season. That is not to say that Brayden's wrong. That's to say that that's where we're at right now. That is where we're at because that's how deep the roster is. You just do not know what's going to happen on a night-to-night basis with minutes. I can't deal with the problem with slander. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think he'll get 13 minutes a night. I just think that it's a fair point to say that Kevin Love might be seeing a, uh, a lower minute total this year, depending upon the steps that Evan takes. Does Isaiah Mobley eventually make his way to the big leagues? And um, Jared Allen, you're, you're going to want to play Jared Allen a considerable amount of time. So who knows? And you got Dean back. You got your guy. You got the <laughs> the official um, It's Cavalier poster child who continues to ignore us. Yeah, just like all <laughs> great things, they pretend we don't exist. Oh man! <laughs> all right, we got to end it there. That's a little. That's uh. That, that's uh, over the top. <laughs> Hello, darkness, mild. <laughs> the core is getting morbid over here. So, <laughs> like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's cavalier underscore pod on uh, titter. T- uh, <laughs> <laughs> NSFW over here. <laughs> Mac is going crazy. I blame that on you. On Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive Iscavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, and send said review via screenshot to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we will personally invite you. <laughs> With that being said. <laughs> Go, go Cavs. Have a good night. <laughs>